This episode of the Blockhouse Podcast is sponsored by my friend Tiger at ITZTiger.music on Instagram. He does all the audio tracks for the Blockhouse Podcast. He's on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Go check him out. The podcast is also sponsored by Day and Night, the ultimate revolution in vaping batteries, the double-bladed lightsaber of vaping. Why enjoy one flavor when you can enjoy two flavors at the same time? Go check them out on Instagram at Day and Night Battery. But wait, the podcast is also sponsored by Bengali, the new hip clothing brand that is about to take Medellin by storm. Quality clothing for men that fits right and that is stylish at the same time. I love it. I got tons of it. And you'll see me wearing it on the podcast. Get yours now. Go to bengali.shop on Instagram. Lastly, be sure to sign up for the Blockchain Insider newsletter. For only $250 a month, you will get weekly updates on the crypto market, my top investment picks, and advanced analysis to help you make better informed investment decisions. You can't put a price on that. So go click on the link in the description and sign up today. What's up, guys? It is Thursday, June 10th, episode 140. And today I have Orn McMillan. He's the team lead at Gnosis. Gnosis leverages decentralized platforms on the Ethereum blockchain to enable the distribution of resources such as assets, incentives, information, and so much more. Also, be sure to check out the Blockchain Insider newsletter hosted by yours truly to get the latest market breakdown every single week. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, Gnosis, and Orin. Enjoy. Oren, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you. How are you doing? How's your day treating you? Doing really well, thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. So before we you know, get going and talking about Gnosis and you know what, what you guys do, what you do there, what it's all about, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Kind of curious. I'm sure my audience will also be curious what uh what it is that you know got you in the space how did you get to this point why why work for gnosis um yeah so give me a little bit of background some detail yeah yeah yeah. i have a um i don't know a bit of a a long and colorful backstory for for how i got into uh uh cryptocurrency and blockchain and and uh just the space in general i actually before uh, going down the rabbit hole, I uh, played basketball professionally, uh, mostly out in Australia, a little bit in Europe. Um, and, and kind of while, while doing that, I, I discovered Bitcoin at one point, uh, I think from a, a, like a news broadcast talking about uh, the deep web, the dark web. And so I, like, I started poking around with Tor and, and kind of uh, found a few marketplaces and stuff like that and, and stumbled across Bitcoin. You know, everything, everything on these marketplaces was denominated in Bitcoin. And so that's kind of where the rabbit hole started for me. Um, and quickly, uh, I guess that was in, in 2013. And, and around that time, uh, Vitalik started posting about uh, the idea of Ethereum. And so I quickly kind of fell down that, that kind of next rabbit hole. And, and the idea clicked really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of the, a kind of a programmable currency, essentially. Um, and the thing that got me really, really excited about the space was uh, DAOs, uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Um, so I 
I, I've been involved with Ethereum since uh, kind of day one, but got really actively involved around the DAO in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I founded the uh, DAO Hub forums, which ended up becoming the kind of de facto home for uh, the DAO. Uh, and so I had this kind of baptism of fire into, uh, I guess, like creating, building, growing, managing uh, communities uh, through the kind of this meteoric rise of the DAO and then it's it's kind of catastrophic failure uh during the the DAO hack uh and then from that experience uh I guess made a a bunch of connections throughout the Ethereum space and and have just kind of leveraged that to uh to continue working in Ethereum since then so I've worked for a handful of projects uh first worked with Gnosis back in 2016 2017 uh and then uh for, for a handful of other projects in the space and, and started off again with Gnosis again last year, uh, originally working with the uh, working on their conditional tokens framework, which is the underlying technology for prediction markets like Omen. Um, and then uh, recently transitioning back into a uh, more DAO-focused role, uh, helping to build out Gnosis's uh, suite of DAO tools, mostly focused around the Gnosis safe. Very cool. Yeah. Why, why DAOs? Why is that something that gets you excited about, you know, Ethereum or just, you know, broadly how it can be used in the space? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Ethereum aside, like just the, the idea of uh, organizations that uh, separate their, their logic for any, from any specific kind of jurisdiction uh, organizations that, that uh, can create and kind of enforce rules on, on how they operate, how they uh, govern themselves uh, in, in a way that's distinct from a legal system. Uh, and that's not to say that they should necessarily exist outside of the legal system, but it's just, uh, if I have a, a choice between whether to trust, uh, whether to trust a, a kind of a legal system that exists in, uh, or that runs in kind of meat space and a, uh, and a, um, uh, essentially a self-executing program, uh, mm. you know, assuming that I can uh, have some reasonable confidence that the, the program is bug free, then I'll, I'll, or at least, you know, uh, has some reasonable kind of mitigating uh, uh, steps, then yeah, I, I would much rather trust something that I can kind of audit like that rather than having to uh, rely on uh, a legal system to enforce rules. The, the thing that really kind of excites me about that most is just that the, the, um, the fact that it should open up, uh, I mean, it has in some instances opened up this uh, this opportunity for, for much more kind of egalitarian organizations. Uh, it, it radically lowers the barrier to entry for uh, creating an organization uh, kind of on, on the bottom end. And then also on the top end, it should, uh, in theory at least, uh, open, uh, kind of blow open the, the top end in terms of how, how large an organization can potentially scale. Yeah, it's it's cool to be able to, you know, that was like one of the first use cases that got me excited too. Um, Ethereum was like one of the first things that just got me like really wanting to be a part of the space. Just seeing like all the things you could do with it, especially DAOs and the fact that you could have some type of governments that's completely, you know, autonomous or completely, um, you know, decentralized. It's, it's, it's really, really cool. It just still worries me though, you know, after the, the DAO hack back in like 2016, like that feels like ancient at this point, so long ago, like what, a whole five years. Um, right, right. But yeah, it's the one thing that, you know, kind of makes me a little skeptical about DAO still. And then, you know, can 
anyone ever really come to agreements on anything? I don't know, maybe in your opinion, do you think it's progressed enough to be like viable to, to use DAOs or do you think they still have a lot of work? Yeah, I mean, I still think there's a ton of work to be done, uh, particularly in, in making them accessible, making them uh, easier to use. Uh, and I think that's uh, part of what I'm currently working on. But mm-hmm. in terms of like whether you whether they're secure enough to, to actually entrust uh, uh, you know, significant amounts of value. And I, I would say, yes, there's, uh, there's a handful of frameworks that have matured to that point that you know, like I'd, I'd personally be comfortable entrusting a, a, a bunch of value in it. Um, I, uh, I don't know, I went through a pretty big grief period with the DAO and was pretty down on, uh, mm-hmm. on uh, most of the frameworks for a while. But, uh, oh, you know, like I, was, I was very skeptical of, of new efforts popping up to, to kind of uh, embark on this mission again. But I think that the, not, like, the silver lining from the DAO hack is that it really forced the hand of, uh, of the whole space to take security seriously. Uh, and so like the, the, the tooling around uh, auditing and, and kind of securely building smart contracts that exists now as compared to when the DAO was written uh, is, is a night and day difference. Um, there's, there's a handful of uh, protocols that have been running effectively now with uh, millions and, and billions uh, of, of dollars at stake uh, mm-hmm. for uh, a number of years without any uh, exploits. Uh, and so I think like I, I'm, I'm comfortable in those situations saying, yes, this is, this is a secure place to, to park funds or to control assets or to uh, control systems uh, in, in a uh, kind of more decentralized way. Could it still be improved though, or is it, or do you think it it works the way it should work? I mean, it absolutely could be improved. There's there's always room for improvement. Um, I think the the big challenges in terms of improvement right now, uh, in, in my opinion, for the DAO space, uh, are probably uh, there's a handful. The biggest one that's that's been a pain point in the last like year and a half has been finding a way to uh, enable voting in an environment that is or participation in an environment that is uh, not cost prohibitive and so what i mean by that is like you have uh dow frameworks and multi-sigs and whatnot uh say like uh, aragon or moloch uh, as dow frameworks where uh voting on mainnet is is essentially cost prohibitive you know like it's 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 so expensive for a for users to come and vote that they just don't do it and so uh, in the case of DAOs where you have a, a minimum quorum to, to reach, then uh, it's really, really difficult uh, to, to often reach that minimum quorum uh, with, with on-chain voting. Um, and then in, in the case of, say, like a Moloch DAO where there is no minimum quorum, you generally end up in a scenario where, you know, everything passes with one vote and, and no, one, no one other than the person who's uh, financially motivated to get this vote to pass and get this proposal to pass actually participates in the in the governance which is fine for for Moloch like that's that's a design choice it uh, is essentially their version of lazy consensus but uh in in the example of uh protocols like Aragon Dow Stack uh, uh compound governance they're not not being able to kind of convince people to actually vote uh in a proposal means that uh, or can mean that the protocol just uh becomes stagnant so that, uh, that is, a, is a really, really key issue. Um, mm. And then I think the other issue, once, uh, once you get beyond a, uh, making everything kind of uh, 
cost effective, making it so like it's it's not cost prohibitive for, for voters to uh, participate. The next issue, in my opinion, is uh, at least from a technical point of view, is uh, the collusion and bribery resistance. So right now, most uh, just about I think literally every framework votes are out in the open. Uh, so you, uh, I can see how you voted. You can see how I voted, and. That's, I think, to a lot of people, seems like a good thing. Um, and, and it's probably in some ways still uh, better than, than the status quo of, uh, of, of um, kind of totally opaque uh, decision-making in, uh, in some traditional organizations. But uh, from the point of view of, of being able to kind of capture that governance, uh, that governance process, it's, it's a really bad feature or it's, it's a bug, not a feature. Um, and so... I think, yeah, the, the next really important uh, evolution in, in DAOs is going to be uh, enabling essentially secret voting. So like transparent decision-making with uh, secret inputs, uh, transparent mm-hmm. outcomes with secret inputs. Um, and there's some some really great research that's being done on that or all kind of actually some really great implementations uh, in uh, Macy, the minimal anti-collusion infrastructure that's kind mm-hmm. of enabling for, uh, for these kind of secret votes. Uh, using zero knowledge proofs, but uh, nothing that's made it into production yet in terms of a, uh, a fully fledged kind of DAO framework where you can use that uh, that system to actually create uh, proposals and vote on them in a uh, in a DAO. When do you think we'd see more real world use cases of of DAOs like being used in commercial enterprise and stuff like that, or do you think it's like a back end technology on blockchain that you know most people won't hear about? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by commercial use cases. I think there's already a ton of use cases out there or a ton of people mm-hmm. using it in the wild. I mean, they, they're typically Web3 native organizations because that's where it makes sense to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you, when you have valuable uh, assets and systems that you, you need to control in a decentralized way um, that, are, that are kind of native to to uh, Web3, then it makes sense to have a, a Web3 governance system. So like, right. I don't see it being adopted to run Microsoft anytime soon because none of the, you know, the, the vast, vast majority of their assets are not on a, on a blockchain, but, you know, Uniswap or uh, Yearn or, or uh, sure. Aave or, you know, any of these, uh, these, these protocols that are, are Web3 native, then yeah, they, they have massive treasuries and, and hugely valuable systems that uh, it, it definitely benefits from having decentralized control over and saying so that's where that's where you've seen adoption first the the DeFi summer uh last year uh, this, this kind of DeFi explosion uh really highlighted the need for and helped to push the governance space forward uh, or push the DAO space forward yeah yeah definitely DeFi has it's been a huge use case for it um you know i think my question more or less was tailored toward like the big you know fortune 500 companies you know that that you know kind of dictate and run society today, you know, a lot of them are even, you know, they're taking massive crypto positions and like Tesla, for example, buying a, a huge uh, part of their portfolio in Bitcoin. And the fact that it, they were able to actually turn a profit on that, you know, showed that they were able to make more money in Bitcoin than they have in a single year selling cars. So I guess technically that makes them like a crypto company. I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe they could turn their organization some degree into a DAO to, to manage that. Like if you're that big of a company and you're actually making more money in crypto than you are and what you actually do, 
Um, you know, I don't know, maybe there's a place for Tesla to have a DAO at some point, at least to manage some things or another major fortune 500 company or, you know, that we see on TV every single day. I guess that's kind of like where my, my question was going, because you just don't see that kind of use cases yet. And I'm wondering if that'll ever be like a public thing or if that's something that would just work for them on a back end. Right. I mean, it, it could be. And it, I think it really depends on like the the outcomes that they're trying to build for, you know, like mm-hmm. if, if Tesla is, if they were trying to uh, build for an outcome where, uh, you know, all of their voters or sorry, all of their say shareholders, for instance, like if they wanted to go and tokenize all of their stock and then give all of their shareholders uh, essentially direct input into, into organization level decisions, then, uh, you know, perhaps setting up a DAO structure is a, is an appropriate way to do that. Uh, given the, amount of uh of trust i guess that's involved in in a uh, real world organization uh one that you know controls a, a bunch of real world assets that are secured essentially by a legal system um i don't know that it necessarily makes sense for an organization uh again like that that grounded in in the real world or the physical world uh to to be structured like that but, but then again, I mean, I could definitely see applications of that. Uh, you know, like one, one really concrete example that I would very much love to see uh, in the real world is uh, more kind of uh, platform cooperative type organizations. You can imagine uh, something like uh, Uber, where essentially you, you uh, automate the, the center of the organization, where rather than having uh, Uber uh, controlling uh, everything, uh, as in, you know, like the, the management of Uber controlling uh, mm-hmm. the, the platform, you, you automate that with the DAO and, and push kind of decision-making power to the edges and ownership to the edges. So you have then uh, essentially a, a platform you know, similar to something like Uber where uh, the drivers and the people building the platform uh, own it and, and mm-hmm. uh, take profits from it or, or, you know, yeah, maybe own it and then can decide what to do with the revenues, I guess, is probably the better way to decide <laughs> it, collectively decide what to do with it. Um, so I think those kind of situations uh, are probably the, the lower hanging fruits on where you could uh, envision a DAO type structure making sense in, in a more traditional organization is, is um, mm-hmm. yeah, probably like the, those kind of sharing economy type uh, scenarios or, or uh, uh, platforms, web, web-based platforms where you could imagine setting up a, uh, a, a platform cooperative type setup. Uh, that's governed by uh, some kind of DAO structure. Dude, decentralized Uber would be like the coolest thing ever. I wonder if anyone's actually tried doing that yet. Like being able to, you know, work for a decentralized um, work, essentially work for a DAO and you can get paid in crypto and you don't necessarily have anyone over you telling you you can't do it. And, um, you know, it's all peer to peer. That'd be pretty cool. Have you heard of anything like that or no? Uh, I mean, there's, there's, been various attempts at creating kind of more fair, more equitable versions of Uber. I'm mm-hmm. not aware. I'm not aware of one uh, that's specifically using blockchain tech to enable it. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly for for things like Airbnb, I'm aware of uh, like there's a was it Fairbnb I think, which is a uh, a kind of cooperative model uh, version of uh, Airbnb, but I'm not aware of one that's using specifically blockchain. Actually, no, there is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Trips that was uh, trying to use blockchain tech to build out something similar, uh, but I, I'm not aware of what their kind of current status is, uh, whether they're up and running. 
that's, that's an awesome business idea. I got to write that one down. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Figure I, it out. I know. I, I would love to, uh, love to help out, see it grow. Yeah. I'll let you know if I ever get around to doing something like that, but, um, let's, let's talk about Gnosis a little bit. Um, cause I'm, I'm curious, I've heard about it for like a long time, but I don't know a whole lot about it in depth. So tell me what it is a little bit like in a nutshell, like what are you guys doing there? What's, what's the mission? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, essentially Gnosis builds, uh, kind of tools, infrastructure, and, uh, and kind of new market mechanisms for the Ethereum ecosystem and for the DeFi mm-hmm. ecosystem. Uh, the, the, the company was, or the organization was originally, uh, founded around the idea of, uh, enabling and creating prediction markets. Uh, and then because, because there was so early, I guess there was a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of requisite infrastructure that didn't exist. Uh, and so a, a huge amount of Gnosis's efforts have been put into essentially uh, creating secure infrastructure for the Ethereum ecosystem to the point now where that's, uh, that's become a really core piece or kind of the, the, the biggest piece of, of Gnosis's efforts. Um, and the, 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 I guess kind of major output from that is the Gnosis safe, which is uh, the kind of de facto uh, account standard for any uh, any multi-sigs and increasingly kind of DAO-like organizations uh, in the Ethereum space. Uh, and, and I guess as a, um, just to kind of talk briefly about what it is, it's, uh, it's yeah, essentially a Gnosis safe uh, is a uh, multi-sig contract, but uh, kind of beyond that, it's, it's at its core, essentially just this modular, uh, account standard contract where you can plug in all kinds of different uh, control structures to to modify how it acts uh, and modify like who who is allowed to make it execute transactions and under what conditions. Uh, so it's this really flexible account standard, and where where uh, part of my my current role is um, setting up tools for uh, making it much easier to uh, build out DAO structures with the Gnosis Safe at its core, but then also to make it interoperable with the other DAO frameworks. Uh, to make it, yeah, again, much more of a, uh, help make it much more of a kind of ubiquitous account standard for mm-hmm. uh, organizations uh, and particularly to, to kind of enable uh, progressive decentralization for organizations. Uh, and then back to kind of Gnosis in general, uh, over the last couple of years, Gnosis has kind of experimented with a whole bunch of different uh, kind of novel market mechanisms. Um, uh, so the, the Gnosis crowd sale was run via a Dutch auction, which was the first example of that being run on a blockchain. Uh, since then, uh, Gnosis has launched uh, several uh, decentralized exchanges, kind of iterated over different designs on decentralized exchanges, uh, all using um, variations on, on Dutch auctions and batch auctions and whatnot, uh, and has recently landed on um, the, uh, I guess, two, two kind of uh, ex- decentralized exchange-like mechanism. One is uh, Gnosis Auction, which is a uh, way of running a, um, essentially auctioning off tokens in a, uh, in a batch auction with a kind of uniform clearing price. And the, the really neat thing with that is that it allows, um, it basically stops, uh, stops there being race conditions on, uh, on, securing value uh, and uh, avoid situations where you can kind of extract value from uh, the from the people sell- selling tokens by essentially being the first person in to scoop up uh, all the tokens which has been pretty common in a lot of uh, a lot of uh, token sales 
up to up to this point. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's a pretty interesting piece of technology. Again, like the the key point there is that it uh, it creates kind of a uniform clearing price for for all participants. Everyone either gets uh, the price that they were willing to pay or a better price. So it's uh, it, it, it's kind of more efficient for everyone involved. Uh, everyone kind of gets at least what they they wanted, uh, and it limits the ability for other users to kind of extract value out of uh, out of the system. Um, and then uh, taking that kind of uh, mitigation of value extraction a step further, the latest version of the uh, the Gnosis protocol uh, is this essentially uh, decentralized exchange protocol designed specifically to uh, circumvent uh, the minor extractable value. Uh, it's now called uh, maximum extractable value. I think it just got rebranded. Um, which has been, been a kind of really hot topic in the Ethereum space for the last uh, maybe year. Um, essentially, it's, it's just talking about the the value that can be extracted from uh, from Ethereum transactions if you have the power to uh, reorder transactions or to kind of change inputs and outputs. And so, typically, that's miners, but it can also be just uh, other actors kind of submitting transactions with with high gas prices and things like that. So, there's a whole bunch of software that's been developed over the, the last year, year and a half to to enable people to uh, extract as much value as they can out of transactions um, or out of out of the, the mempool. And so, uh, yeah, Gnosis Protocol is a, um, a decentralized uh, exchange that uh, essentially helps users to mitigate um, mitigate minor extractable value uh, by batching uh, a whole bunch of orders together and then has some additional mm-hmm. benefits where it can... Uh, where you essentially end up with a uh, again a surplus on on what you are hoping for uh, through a variety of different mechanisms. Um, so yeah, th- those are the two kind of uh, well, I guess like three three primary things that uh, we're working on right now. Other projects are the uh, Open Ethereum uh, client uh, node sof- software. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gnosis uh, maintains that. Uh, it used to be called Parity. Uh, Gnosis kind of took it over and rebranded it a few years ago. Um, and then uh, the, the project that I'm currently working on, which is uh, creating DAO tools for the uh, for the, the Gnosis Safe and uh, the Ethereum community. Do you guys have any like recent use cases uh, where Gnosis is you know being applied to to help in some type of way? Uh, I mean, the Gnosis Safe. Uh, currently secures a few billion dollars worth of assets um, uh, from, I mean, basically every major DeFi protocol at the core of, or, or just about every major DeFi protocol uh, at the core of the system, they have a Gnosis safe securing their, their assets and systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the biggest example of Gnosis technology being, uh, being used. I think it's, it controls uh, or something like two to three percent of the uh, the ether in circulation is stored in Gnosis safes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I, I'd have to pull up a dashboard somewhere to double check exactly what that uh, that percentage is, but it's you know, some a few percent of the uh, of the ether supply is stored in safes, um, and it's yeah, it, it's it's kind of rapidly becoming, I think, a uh, an account standard um, for for anything that's. Uh, Essentially, needs more security and/or logic than uh, than you know what you can get out of an EOA account, out of a, a public key, private key account. What's uh, the roadmap look like for you guys? You know, the rest of twenty twenty one. What are you guys you know working on or excited about uh, that you can share, that you want to share? 
Um, yeah. Like, do you guys have partnerships coming up? Do you have just key dates that, you know, people should be aware of? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of uh, key dates, I don't have any that I can kind of rattle off off the top of my head. We do have uh, a pretty much a nonstop stream of, uh, of, of releases uh, our comms team is is well and truly overworked because they uh because we keep kind of rolling stuff out mm-hmm. um the the big things that were just announced recently uh and i think one of the, the most kind of important announcements is the gnosis safe uh rolling out support for uh layer twos and side chains uh so as of right now it's available on mainnet uh xdi and rinkaby and uh, yeah, over over the coming months, it will start to uh, roll out support for uh, essentially any any worthwhile uh, Ethereum layer two or uh, EVM compatible uh, side chain. So like the the immediate targets are Arbitrum, which is an optimistic roller, uh, and then uh, Polygon, which is a, another um, XDI like side chain, a, a little bit different, but yeah, uh, kind of similar there, and then. Uh, uh, Binance Smart Chain, and then beyond that, uh, looking at uh, other networks like uh, Optimism and uh, ZK Sync, uh, and then uh, a whole bunch of other um, EVM compatible side chains uh, or, or blockchains. And so that's uh, that. I think is going to be really important because it's um, it, it again brings that kind of more secure account standard to to each of those other execution environments. And then beyond that, the thing that I'm really excited about. Um, is essentially, uh, I guess I'm biased here because it's the thing that I'm kind of working on, but I'm, uh, I'm really excited about enabling this, uh, I guess, multi-chain ecosystem design where you have, uh, you maybe say pick a pick one chain that you want to be the, the home of your organization's decision-making. You know, so you may deploy a DAO framework there or you may have a NOSA safe deployed there. And then using some of the, uh, the technology that I'm currently working on, what we're able to do is uh, essentially bridge your decision-making from that home chain uh, mm-hmm. over to uh, execution in a Gnosis safe deployed on any of those other chains. So you can imagine, uh, I talked earlier about one of the, the big issues in the DAO space is essentially uh, the, the cost of engagement, the cost of voting. Uh, and so one way to, to mitigate that is to go and put your decision-making mechanism on uh, a cheaper execution environment like XDAI. So uh, there's a, a whole handful of uh, organizations that have gone and done that. Uh, projects like uh, Raid Guild and OneHive have, have gone and deployed different um, uh, DAO structures to XDAI. The, the problem that that uh, gives them, though, is that they are then kind of siloed into the XDAI environment to a certain extent, or at least like the, the organization, uh, the DAO software is unable to... Uh, you know, make calls out to other chains to to make things happen uh, beyond just kind of sending tokens out across the uh, the various bridges. And so, some of the some of what we're we're currently working on, we we recently deployed a um, or released a um, project called SafeSnap um, that lets you bridge kind of off chain decision making to on chain execution. And we have another uh, a tool called SafeBridge, which uh, makes use of the arbitrary message bridge between XDAI and uh, and Mainnet. And so what it will let you do is uh, say you've got a, an organization deployed to XDAI, it would allow you then to control a NOSA safe on mainnet. And, and what we uh, imagine or what we kind of envision happening here is actually organizations becoming this kind of constellation of, uh, of different accounts across a whole, uh, a whole bunch of different networks. So you may have 
you may choose XDAI as, as your kind of organization's home where decisions are made, and then uh, set up this uh, constellation of different OSIS safes, uh, you know, one on mainnet, one on Polygon, one on Optimism, uh, so on and so forth, and use those as essentially your organization's avatar on each of those uh, networks, uh, but control them all from your one uh, home chain uh, where you where you make decisions, and then just kind of use uh, use the safe bridge or, or uh, safe snap to uh, kind of cause execution on any of those other uh, environments. And so this uh, this mm-hmm. kind of interdimensional multi chain uh, uh, organizational setup, I think, is going to be a, a really uh, fun thing that evolves over the next uh, couple of uh, months, and and a really key part to allowing organizations to kind of extend their tendrils out beyond. Uh, you know, the, the execution environment mm. that they live on. Yeah, the whole multi-chain aspect is pretty cool. I thought you guys were more like just based with Ethereum projects and stuff like that. But no, that's that's cool to to hear about. It, I guess it gives you guys more to work with and more like interesting areas to, you know, um, apply Gnosis and, and to grow. Where, where can people go to actually learn more about all this stuff and what you guys are doing? Where Should they go to like a certain Discord or telegram channel yeah. or yeah i mean i think the best best places to, to find out more about us is a, a one the website gnosis.io mm-hmm. uh to uh come and follow us on twitter it's uh gnosis pm at gnosis pm um and then uh three uh, jump into our discord server it's uh, chat.gnosis.io perfect sounds good Warren, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk about gnosis and DAOs and um all, all this cool stuff and everything that you guys are doing I'm very excited to you know see how it all plays out the next rest of the year and all the things you guys got going on. It's it's cool. I've always wanted. To, I've heard of Gnosis for such a long time. I've always wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into it to understand it. So, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. <laughs>